Attention, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Adrian Lozano Show. Rock and roll. <laughs> hey, good looking. Before we go any further, I have to let you know something. I am disclaiming. Disclaimer. Attention warning disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in DOS show are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Adrian Lozano Show. Also, the comedy is rather very ribaldry and at times extremely imaginative. The show. Thanks you. Very much. Thank you. All content from this show are for comedic purposes only. This information should not be considered complete, up-to-date, and is not intended to be used in place of a visit, consultation, or advice of a legal, medical, or any other professional. Thank you very kindly. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. In any way living or dead by listening to this declaration you have been warned. Thank you. You now are proceeding at your own risk. Isn't it fun? You've also been absolved of any foul motors for a short time lasts about 10 minutes. Now are you ready for the most irresponsible comedy podcast this side of whatever the hell river that is? Me, Adrian, Lozano Show says, You are amazing, you're an absolute delight to be around. One other thing, believe it or not. You actually have been doing badass today, you're doing an amazing job, keep it up. Me, Adrian, Lozano Show is like a tip to grip with wings. And now for the tip everyone's been waiting to grip Adrian Lozano. So, this is episode 118, that's right, 118, because it's that episode that was supposed to come out when eh, 119 kind of happened. You know, you just fall into a chicken hole and then... Here we go. There you go. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're poultry. Um, Poultry in motion. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm here with the lovely Miss Tony, and she is helping me... Finish off this 118 episode because it needs to fucking be out already, goddammit. And she's also the only other person that I'm aware of that's seen this here movie. uh, Or these two couple of movies and this so-called TV show. Um, Yeah, we're doing this. This is our like fifth or sixth take on this because life keeps getting in the way. Life finds a way to get in the way. Always. Um, Thank you, Goldblum. Anyway, um... I like that sound effect that he does. The so you two, um, mm. uh, anyway, that's that may or may not end up in the show. I don't know. Uh, uh, so, tell me, what do you remember about the Flintstones? And what did you like about them? The goddamn family. Listeners, this is Tony coming to you as Adrian would say, somewhat live here on New Year's Eve 2020. Um, him and I are going to be talking tonight about the Flintstones with you guys. Um, we've been doing a little bit of research and talking back and forth about the Flintstones and a little bit about the Jetsons and how they met up in the cartoon at some point. Um, that was a (laughs) firecracker, apparently. Uh, you might hear lots of those in the background, and that's okay. Um, we are going to discuss the movie a little bit, because that's kind of what brought everything on, and a little bit of the cartoons. Uh, I grew up watching the cartoons, 
and I also grew up because of my sister and I having such a large age gap uh, watching the Flintstones movie quite a bit because she loved the purple dinosaur and guess what's in the Flintstones purple dinosaur <laughs> Barney <laughs> so that was kind of our jam for a while and I didn't find it at all because I really like dinosaurs and uh, that's kind of my jam I was always interested in that and I always did research papers and stuff like that on dinosaurs that was one of my favorite things so you know I know that the Flintstones isn't all about dinosaurs but there's definitely plenty of dinosaurs to stare at that's so. true I mean there's a lot in there I feel like how do you feel about the theory that we just uh, went over? The theory that the Flintstones actually takes place in the future. Now that I've seen it after we discussed it a little bit previously, it unfortunately makes sense and it bugs me a little bit because... Because of the... It's them living in an apocalyptic world, basically. A post-apocalyptic world. A post-apocalyptic world, sorry. Yeah, the apocalypse already happened and this is the radiated wasteland that they're in yeah. now but the theory goes that because they use money because they have a form of currency also hi by the way i'm adrian i don't know if i said hello um i'm the i'm the host of this here show this here shindig i introduced you sir well thank you thank you <laughs> kindly i um i don't think i said actually i don't think i introduced you i'm so sorry i said hi this is tony you know what that's, that's close enough show. yeah that's close enough <laughs> that's close enough all right so uh, that's uh, boy finding a way to get in on this New Year's cheer. Um, oh, so like I was saying, I feel like uh, uh, I'm, I'm distracted by my cat. I feel like um, that's really cool how they have um, currency. That shows you that they were a society that's already uh, gone through and evolved to that point. Not to mention the incorporation of Christmas. And the um, the use of actual like technological items that they didn't have before, you know, like the record player, for instance. Yeah. And uh, the fact that. And also think about all the way that they use their dinosaurs. Uh, that was another part of why the theory seemed to stick so much. It's because they used their dinosaurs like. Uh, um, what do you call appliances. it? Appliances, right. And they use the dinosaurs like a lawnmower. Like, how would they have known that if they hadn't have already experienced that in some form or fashion? So, I definitely have to say the theory makes, unfortunately, a little bit too much sense. Um, the, the Jetsons, of course, being on the above the Earth, which kind of, like, shows, like, some people were able to go to space and some people stayed on Earth. If they wanted a simpler kind of life, they would stay they on stayed Earth. They stayed on Earth, yeah. And um, the whole movie thing about them um, transporting in time, it's actually just a teleportation device yeah. that uh, Elroy comes up with um, and it just transfers them down to the surface, which yeah. uh, it's an interesting story because I think at the end they end up transferring the Flintstones back to their place. Yeah. Which is like, oh crap, here we go again. Um, Another little rabbit hole we just fell down before we talk a little bit more about the movie um, was there was a video game with the Flintstones and the Jetsons. A click and play time warp game. Yeah, it was very It different. seemed to have no purpose. None at all. I think it was literally like you're going to sit there on the computer and just click, and click a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and see what it does. And that actually, for the, for when that happened, I think that happened in the 90s, that actually makes a lot of sense because that was kind of the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, you click and like, oh, it does this. Oh, it does that. That's cool. 
and it, you move on. But there was no like you're fighting a villain. You're, yeah. You're fighting. There was uh, no end to this game. It was just basically let's put Fred here where uh, the Jetsons are, and then let's have him walk around and see all this stuff, and then let's swap it. Yeah. Then the George and Fred swap yeah, lives. Pretty much. Uh, but not wife, sir. Just I, lives. I'm just yes. That's <laughs> what I said. Anyway. Um, so yeah, if you're a Flintstones fan. Um, then you're in luck because we didn't hate the movie that much. No. Um, um, did not enjoy the second one, unfortunately. It's got its moments. I really like... Uh, I don't even think I've seen all of it because I, I honestly... You were so disgusted enough, you had to walk away? Well, no, I think it's because I was old enough to know what type of um, actors that I enjoy and don't enjoy. And I don't really think I enjoyed very many of the actors that were in that movie. Wow. Um, I know, I know, because I know one of your favorites is in there and I apologize for that. But... Um, also, I love John Goodman. Oh, know? yeah, John Goodman's amazing. John Goodman's amazing. Apparently, he's, he's never amazing. done a bad performance, so... Yeah, I say no, he's never done a bad performance, in my opinion, either. But, I don't know. Um, I think that, also, just because, we'll go back just a little, itty bitty bit, uh, I think because you and I are dinosaur fans. Oh, yes, dinosaurs. Uh, yes. Yeah. Not and, the mama. Not the mama, yeah. And uh, I was saying how I thought that... Maybe the second movie had, like, like visually was a little bit better than the first movie. But when I really think about it, maybe I enjoyed the first movie so much, not besides just the characters. bias. But also the animatronics uh, in it, because that's what you and I grew up on. Like, we grew up watching um, dinosaurs and I have to admit that the, stuff like that, you know? The first Flintstones Dino with John Goodman, uh, that one... That Dino character looks like a digital rendering of Robbie from... Home lists 25 cool secrets you never knew about the Flintstones 25 cool secrets you never knew about the Flintstones The Flintstones was meant to be wholesome prehistoric family fun but these 25 dark secrets will make you see the show in a new light By Tobias Hanke Mar 01-2018 as the whistle blew to end the working day Fred Flintstone's energetic cry of, Yabba Dabba Do, became part of the iconic opening to the Flintstones and helped launch one of television's most critically acclaimed and commercially successful sitcoms of all time. Produced by Hanna-Barbera for ABC, the Flintstones takes place in the Stone Age town of Bedrock. Focused on the lives of Fred and Wilma Flintstone and their lovable child Pebbles and pet dinosaur Dino, along with good friends and neighbors Barney and Betty Rubble and their infant son Bam Bam, the animated series juxtapositioned modern life in a prehistoric setting with plenty of laughs and relevant storyline arcs. Running for six seasons The Flintstones was the most financially successful network animated franchise until The Simpsons took that mantle in the Nine Zeros. Since the original series ended in 1966 there have been over 10 spin-off series, more than 12 television specials, 5 made-for-television films, and 2 live-action features. The Flintstones was so successful it even spawned two theme parks, a live stage show, and various forms of merchandise that attributed to it becoming such a cultural phenomenon. As with anything so successful, there were a number of setbacks and roadblocks the franchise encountered over the journey, along with some murky secrets that have stayed hidden for a long time. Having dug deep into the history of the Flintstones and delved into the behind-scenes secrets of the show we've come up with 25 dark secrets you never knew about the Flintstones for you to discover. Advertising. 25. Grown-ups only but children welcome via, releasemama.com. Before the Flintstones got the go-ahead, Hanna-Barbera was known for making entertaining television shows aimed at young children.
Having first tasted success with Tom and Jerry for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios Inc., William Hanna and Joseph Barbera struck out on their own and created their own company Hanna-Barbera Productions. After their first few cartoon series received mixed reviews the duo understood they needed to come up with an idea that would appeal to both children and grown-ups. The result was the Flintstones. The animation had a fantasy setting in prehistoric Earth that got kids excited alongside grown-up-themed storylines and laugh-out-loud comedy sequences. Hannah and Barbara hired both live-action and traditional animation writers to script the show, writing plotlines focused on everyday family problems often resolved with a good belly laugh by the show's end. The Flintstones was also one of the first animated shows to feature a laugh track, something usually only seen in grown-up sitcoms. 24. Flintstones Vitamins Not That Healthy via armyofawisomepeople.com First introduced in 1968 Flintstones complete chewable multivitamins were marketed as the ideal supplement for young children, going on to become one of the biggest Flintstones-related products ever. Hundreds of thousands of kids the world over would eat the colorful vitamins that came shaped as characters from the show, while many parents were convinced they were doing the right thing giving their children the supplement, it turns out Flintstones multivitamins aren't as healthy as first thought. An article by Spoon University delved deep into the ingredients used to create the vitamins and found some disturbing results. So I saw the Flintstones. After I was done with my show, I put on about the cartoon. The, no, sir. No, sir. With John Goodman. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Then I saw and Viva Rock Vegas Martin. after that. Um, okay, so I liked it. I liked it a lot. I remember the toys yeah, like from McDonald's. The production value in the movie itself was great. All the uh, background the actors. Spielberg, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah, he's not the best guy anymore. But anyway, look, um, that movie had a certain quality to it that I really feel like it did the perfect job of turning a cartoon into a movie. Like, yeah. it really did. I don't give a fuck if Rosie O'Donnell's arms are like, you know, slightly bigger than Wilma's. I don't care. Um, Wilma was great. Uh, Rosie was great. I don't even like Rosie O'Donnell. But everybody turned in a grade A performance. Fucking yeah. uh, our man from Elizabeth uh, Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor's the fucking stepmom. Yeah. I mean, the, step- the, the mother-in-law. Yeah. yeah, and uh, she does a great performance. Now that Viva Rock Vegas though. It's not good in a lot of ways, and it it breaks everything. You basically have to think about it as its own universe, because it breaks everything that the movie had created before. So, like in this version, Barney's dumber than Fred. Uh, in this version, um, they met Wilma and Fred met in a different way, and um, also to the actress, they got uh, what's her name, Kristen Johnson from uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Wow, that fucking Amazonian chick, that's so yeah, hot, like. Yeah. I dug her being there. Like, seeing her as Wilma was great, but they just kind of reshaped that whole universe. Mm. And, like, they introduced the the Great Gazoo. The Great Gazoo as well. Like, what's what's the Great Gazoo? He's a small alien that's green and um, he's basically like um, an imp. You can only see him. Uh, only Fred and Barney can see him. Uh, there's nobody else that can really see him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's played by Alan Cummings. Really? And Mick Jagged. There's a character named Mick Jagged. Um, that's, Is there a Rolling Stones song in this movie? There's Rolling Stones band in this movie. Oh, well, that's why it's Mick Jagged. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's it's pretty trippy. Uh, Jane Krasowski is the one that plays um, Betty, and she does a great job. Um, right on. I can see that. Rosie O'Donnell's actually the octopus in the movie that does like a massage in one scene. <laughs> so she's like a puppet in the movie, massaging her character that she was in the last uh, movie. That's uh, that's adorable. It was weird. Like it just it totally destroyed. Like I had hopes of it. Be- I couldn't remember what it was. Gesundheit. Thank you. Um, I had, I thought I remembered what it was, but I couldn't, and I forgot that it was a prequel. Like I forgot that that's what it was. Like they went back in time, mm. um, which you know tends to happen when you can't get the same pre- actors back. Pre Stone Age. No, it's, it's a, <laughs> it was well. It was like pre them getting the job in the quarry. Like they had yeah. to take the test for the quarry job in the movie, mm. and um, I don't know, man. It just it. It's weird in its own did way. You, did you, as a whole, stand alone? You, you call me a whole all the time. Did you like it? Um, yes. Yes, I did, but... Hesitant? Yes, because okay. I wanted more of the other story. Mm. So you watched the other one first. Well, I watched the first one first. Yeah, and then you watched this the one. second one, which is a prequel. Yeah. And okay. it just, it didn't... I feel like even if I had watched the prequel first, I don't feel like it would have had the same effect because like John Goodman's performance it is just Fred wasn't Flintstone. As good. Yeah. Who's who's Fred? Uh, he's a British bloke. Uh, it's the guy from um, uh, Monty Python, um, the chubby friend. Oh, fuck, what's his name? Oh, the the guy from Shaun of the Dead. No, 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 no. That's um, that's Nick Frost. Oh. That's Nick Frost. Um, this guy's. Uh, do you have the internet? I do have the internet. Okay, cool. Because uh, I can't remember his name, but I know that he's in the full Monty, and I know he's British. But he's um, he's the younger Fred Flintstone, and he does a good job. His American accent's very good for a caveman. Because <laughs> it's like, what dialect is this? Uh, cave? I don't know. <laughs> um, is it this gentleman? Mark Addy. Mark Addy. Like I said, it's Mark Addy. <laughs> it's not Alan Reed? No. no um, but uh, but uh, Stephen... Uh, yeah, I, I like any... I, I, I'm never disappointed with John Goodman's performance, for sure. Yeah, it Whatever, was. I don't care what he does. Alright. <laughs> I was just going through my mind. I was, I was going through all the John Goodman performances in my mind, and I was like, "Well, I don't like Roseanne. That's about it." Like, um, what about Red State? Red State. You didn't. Do you not like him in Red State? I do. I was gonna yeah, she's she's like, hey, what? I was trying to think hey, of a performance that? I didn't like. What's that one? Oh, the one that you didn't like. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, okay. I like how people listen to me. Um, I was too in my head. I do. Uh, I wasn't. That's I, was, right. I was just thinking about all the cool shit John Goodman's done. I was, yeah, I was, I, was, I was trying to point out. I was, I was, I was trying, trying to put a chink s- in his armor. Uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to find something. What did he do that was terrible? And I was like, or what was that one with Nick Nolte that he was in, um, where Nick Nolte's like the propaganda Nazi that ends up hiding out after the war, and uh, John, John Goodman's in there somewhere. Uh, he's like the. He's like, oh my God, Chewbacca! No, um, <laughs> no, he's the guy that um, he like meets him or whatever on the park bench. Yes, 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 yes. Um, f- 
Fuck, I know that movie. I had a collection of Nazi movies for the longest time. Thanks to my uh, grandmother's obsession with World War II, she was like, if you see another one of those war movies, I'll be like, right. oh, right. That Indiana Jones? Um, well, no, like, she loved Indiana Jones, but, like, she loved any war movies. Like, we watched Holocaust, the movie. You know, like... Hey, it's a rough one. Six, seven hours, dude. Like, yeah, that's a rough one. It's a one. fucking crazy-ass movie. Um, uh, I can't remember what what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um... I think I borrowed that from you at some point. Yeah, because yeah, like, it's Nick I, Nolte. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's the one by fucking... Um, I, have the, um, I have the internet. You motherfucker. <laughs> um, it's a book. It's It was based off a book. Yeah. Mother Night, I think, is the name of the book. Yes, Mother Night. Mother Night is the that's book. It. It's Kurt Vonnegut. That's the movie. Well, uh, oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's the one who wrote that book. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. He's know, also I've the guy who wrote... I odd name. I just he wrote uh, Breakfast of Champions as well. Um... He's checking it out, folks. He's Googling. Yeah, Kirk Vonnegut. Woo! I got a memory still somewhat. Let me drink more. Yeah, that's, that's the name of the movie. And, uh... Mother Night. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nick, Nick Nolte. Nick... Oh, my God. That's Patton Oswalt. I love Patton Oswalt's joke. Oh, my God, Chewbacca. Goddamn, Death Star's on the verge of exploding again. <laughs> What yeah, do you mean we're out of toilet that paper? Was, that, that was a good one. I, I love Patton Oswalt's stand-up, man. Yeah, his shit's great. His shit's gold. There was, a, there was only one episode that I... Or uh, one special I wasn't particularly fond of, but... Oh, shit. Did you hear about his, fucking Chappelle coming most, back to Saturday? most recent one or, was... Came back to Texas. Awesome. Uh, yes, I heard about that. San Antonio. Uh, yeah, he, he, I heard about that, too. Um... Uh, for those who are not in the know, uh, my good buddy Becky here is one of the biggest Chappelle show, Chappelle in general fans uh, around. Um, he's the only person I know that can beat me on Dave Chappelle quotes. Like, uh, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. But um, he's a big fan. He's, he's just so big of a fan that he actually got to go see him at uh, the exclusive show. I don't think he talked about that. Um, I think he talked about that with I mean, me. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not. It's been a while, but. Yeah, I saw him at the Aztec Theater on Commerce, downtown San Antonio. Um, it was a uh, sold-out show. Um, it was uh, it was obviously before COVID. Yeah. And uh, I went through a lot to get those tickets. Um, it, they, they were very, very difficult to get. Yeah, because you told me about the whole dynamic of, like, you had to... You waited in a line, and then like everybody in the line was well, told to go fuck off, and well, then. Well, the thing that it was is that it was they were pop up shows. Like you didn't know till that night. You didn't like, know until that day that they were going on sale. Like they announced it at like nine o'clock in the morning that they're going on sale at eleven. Announced and then, it how? And then by like you know, like on social 11, media, at like an eleven o eight, they're all sold out. How did they announce it though? Social media. Um. I think it was, uh, they announced it through the local news channels, and that, of course, translates to, uh, you know, social media and other outlets, but, uh, they, yeah, it was through local media, like, uh, KSAT 12 and Ken's 5 and all that, um, and, uh... WGN. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I remember um, WGN, like, I remember watching that, and actually, like, watching, like, Chicago's nighttime news, and was like, oh, another murder, wow. Oh, yeah, big surprise. You know, if it was that cold, I'd be angry, too. Yeah. That's why the Russians are so angry. 
fucking brutal up there in Siberia. For all of my Russian listeners, you're awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, they're. Uh, I, I admire the Russians for. Uh, so the, big, that fucking country's so big. You know, the the just the 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 strength or will of a person that you have to have in order to live there, you know, and survive there and do well there. You know, uh, harsh environments make harsh people, I imagine. Marsh. Yeah, marsh. You know, and like, marsh environments make marsh people. Yeah, yeah like marsh like, people. Like if I were to take, you know, uh, a bunch of uh, uh, islanders, you know, from the Vir- you know, say the Virgin Islands, or the they're Cayman, not virgin anymore, or the Caymans, or something like that. Cayman you know? Islands. That's that's what they call the Virgin Islands after you leave. Yeah, those. <laughs> <laughs> the um. You know, you put an army of Darkness. island dwellers up, oh. again, up against people who live in the desert, and it's like 12 degrees most of the year. I would imagine that... Fahrenheit? Uh, uh, yeah, if you put them in a climate that's right in the middle of those two and let them fight it out, I guarantee you the people who have to live in those that harsh tundra environment over generations are going to be a lot tougher people physically and mentally I imagine I mean how physically and mentally tough do you have to be to live on an island that's gorgeous and beautiful and ha- uh, and has a stable economy I think an iron will would uh, definitely help yeah right yeah right yellow Sorry, what's up what's up The creators of the Flintstones comic on bringing existential dread to Bedrock DC Comics made the Flintstones sad. These geniuses are the culprits. By Alex abad Santoselex at Vox.com updated April 6, 2017, 1000 DC Comics. The most emotionally devastating comic book in recent memory features a man coming to grips with his obsolescence, questioning humanity's squandering nature and gross consumerism, and coping with the scars of war. His name is Fred Flintstone. Created by writer Mark Russell and artist Steve Pugh, The Flintstones is obsessed with the human frailty that permeates the colorful, funny, yabba-dabba-do-time bedrock that many of us grew up with. It uses Bedrock's first family and Hanna-Barbera's gag-filled prehistoric vision to tell a basic truth about human nature, that a civilization's first steps to survival involve someone else's doom. It's all heavy stuff, and given the recent trend of cartoons and comic books going dark and grimy, The Flintstones' existential crisis could easily be a gimmick in the hands of anyone but Russell and Pugh. The two imbue the comic with a stunning thoughtfulness and humanity that makes this melancholy swerve work for the modern Stone Age family. The Flintstones is a comic that aches and breathes, and that seeks to give us clarity about our own lives. Hugh and Russell's run is being released as a collected volume this week, and I recently got the chance to talk to the two about the creative process, the book's rare glimmers of happiness, and how they determined that best approach to a cartoon known for its prehistoric puns was inescapable existentialism. This interview has been edited for length and clarity. Alex Abad Santos. Mark, I read in another interview about your intense dislike for Flintstones vitamins. Did you make this book so sad because you hated the Flintstones vitamins so much? Mark Russell. Pew DC Comics. No, I didn't even really take into account when writing the book, believe it or not. 
I did have to take advantage of the opportunity of writing a Flintstones comic to make a jab at Flintstones vitamins, which you might have seen in issue 2, when Fred looks directly at the reader and he says, vitamin pills are a scam. Alex Abad Santos. You said they tasted like batteries. Mark Russell. I found it very gratifying to put that in Flintstones comics. Yeah, basically what you're paying for is expensive urine. Alex Abad Santos. On a more serious note, one of the reoccurring themes of the comic is wanting to feel significant in a world where you're terminally insignificant. How did you guys realize that was the theme that you wanted to go with the Flintstones? Mark Russell. As a writer, I feel like I don't choose what I'm going to write about so much as it chooses me. I write about the things that bother me, and one of the things that bothers me is how we're continually dehumanized by the minutia and the pettiness of the world around us. So that's something I didn't really set out to make a comic about, but it's something that sort of imbues the comic that I'm writing, because it's something that weighs on me. Steve Pugh. Visually, it was kind of up to me to back Mark up in that approach. Probably the best visual representation of that is Fred himself. He's a huge man, huge barrel-chested ex-army guy, who two zero years earlier could take anything that the world threw at him. But now that world is moving on, his physical strength and his power is almost meaningless in the new situation in which he finds himself. Civilization is now sort of edging him to the side, because all the things that made him able to cope with the world are the things that are making him not part of it anymore. Pugh DC Comics Mark Russell I think that one of the fundamental features of civilization is that it tends to reduce people to their economic functions, and that's something I think is more clear with the animal appliances, that even their names are just what their function is in the house, like, lamp, and co-track, and bowling ball. Those are the only names they know each other by, and it's basically just because when you're living in an interconnected societal economy, that's how people tend to see you and what you therefore are usually reduced to, your economic function. Alex Abad Santos Another theme of the book is the consequence of consumerism. At first, you're like, oh wow, this turtle's so cute, because he's holding ice cream, and then after Fred and Wilma go to the mall and they start buying the power goat lawnmower, you start realizing these animals have emotions too, and they just kind of get tossed off. Mark Russell. I think that consumerism, basically what it is is a cute dystopia. I think that most dystopias you see in literature are gray and dark and usually very conformist. The United States, and I think in most industrial countries, we don't recognize ourselves as dystopias because we're colorful, we're marketed to, things are bright and shiny. Our dystopia looks more like a Taco Bell than a concentration camp. Alex Abad Santos. How is that reflected in the Flintstones art? Steve Pugh. It's something I learned as I went through the book, how to pitch especially the animal appliances, how cartoony to make them and how realistic to make them in different circumstances, and enable them to be able to emote enough to empathize with them. And as far as the human characters go, it was important that they sort of not realize what they're doing to these animals. These are good people doing bad things to other living creatures, but they don't get it yet. If somebody kind of took them aside and explained what they were doing, they'd be horrified. But because the society they're working in doesn't perceive these values, they're completely oblivious to the chaos they're causing. Alex Abad Santos. That comes through in issue number 3, with the alien spring breaking in Bedrock, this whole idea that the aliens are treating Bedrock civilians the way Bedrock's finest treated the people who came before them. Mark Russell. I think it's one of the themes of the Flintstones overall, that every civilization we see is built on somebody who was murdered or kicked out of the land they were occupying. There's this uncomfortable family history to every country, every civilization on Earth. As we become more civilized we pride ourselves on being more ethical people, but the old things, like imperialism and conquest, take on different forms. They don't really go away. 
Instead of actually militarily occupying the land and kicking out the occupants, we simply go there on spring break and trash the place. Alex Abad Santos. Fred's a war veteran in this series, and it seems everyone has their own sort of damage. Does that tie back to the concept of our, uncomfortable, family history? Mark Russell. I wanted to do something with the Water Buffaloes, the organization Fred and Barney belong to, but in the old 196 Zeros cartoon, the Water Buffaloes were just sort of a gentleman's club, you know, like the Rotary or the Lions, and it didn't really feel very relevant to me. What did feel relevant was a lot of vets returning home from wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and how we really haven't created anything for them to come back to. So that to me felt like a much more relevant use of the water buffaloes than going back and sort of visiting this Mad Men era social club for gentlemen who just want to get away from the wives for a few hours. Pew DC Comics Alex Abad Santos. In one of the issues, Fred and Barney's friend, a water buffalo down on his luck, actually is excited at the idea of getting back to war again. Mark Russell. Yeah, again, it's about them having been reduced to this role that they play, as opposed to being celebrated or given appreciation for just being the human beings that they are. Steve Pugh. Mark came up with the cool conceits way before I was brought on board, and when I read the script about the water buffaloes being veterans, it was one of those ideas that's obvious once somebody's thought of it. You see it on the page and you think, of course, that's beautiful, that's perfect, but it took Mark to think of it, and it works really, really well. It's a little pin in the map that you can hang a lot of the other stuff around. Alex Abad Santos. Steve, when Mark tells you that he wants to take the water buffaloes in this direction, what's your thought process? How do you tackle that idea? Steve Pugh. Mark doesn't put in a huge amount of visual data. He lets me kind of run with the ball. What I have to do is read the dialogue, read the characters, and then build things to support that. I call them gags. They're not gags, but these set pieces. It's implicit in the way these characters are relating to each other, so I can tell roughly the age and the demeanor and the body language of these characters just from what they're saying, almost, and for the most part we've managed to stay in sync. I haven't made too many errors, I hope, or he hasn't mentioned if I have. Alex Abad Santos. I'm not a visual person, I can't draw, so it's hard for me to think about things spatially or know where to even start visually. But when you said, body language, that clicked. Steve Pugh. Some artists really, really want everything on the page, almost like an Alan Moore full description of the situation. I'm fine with that not being there. The main thing for me is I understand the motivation of the characters. If I know what they're feeling about a situation, You're in trouble, Click. <laughs> what does that mean? It's not ready. It's like, I'll be ready in a couple more beers, all right? I'm not ready yet, but give me a couple more beers and I can handle the news. Jesus. Oh, if I told you once, I told you a thousand times. Just die already. Just... Sorry. <laughs> but I'm not ready. But I'm not ready. Do it when I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, that was too funny. She was laughing, too. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad that you... You're like, in trouble, Clink. <laughs> I'm laughing, but only because I know you're actually in trouble. Um, no, I, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, what do they, they say? Glad about it? Mad about it? <laughs> um, no. Why use regular bags when you can use glad bags? That's what they say. Oh, don't get mad. Get glad. That's... that's that's the root of it. Yeah. 
Don't get mad and be it's, like, you're fucking trash bags. It's rudimentary, my friend. Mm. Not really. No. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not what that means. I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, not anyway. So, um, yes. Flintstones. Uh, as far as like rewatching it, I would suggest um, forgetting about the sequel and just rewatching the first one. Also, too, it's cool to see Dino look like Robbie from the Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. He looks like Robbie from the Dinosaurs. Like, he looks like the. Yeah, he he, without the Mohawk. Um, but he definitely looked like. Yeah, and well, and it's got that um, believable, like, leathery look. You know, it doesn't look cartoonish, right? Mm. Right? No, it's the the second one looks very very CGI heavy, very cartoonish. Um, no, I, oh, I, I'm talking about first one. Yeah, I know. I was I was comparing it to the second one, like uh, to have something to compare it to. It's like, mm, yeah, it's way more believable than the first one because it's a mix of like animatronics and uh, CG. Yeah. So um, okay, now we're gonna get off the Flintstones right now, and uh, I wanted to ask you. Oh, we're two minutes in. I can cut that. Uh, then everything else is fine. But sometimes you get a script where it's not really obvious if the character's happy or sad or indifferent about what's happening to them, and then it's a nightmare, because a lot of what I do is based on body language and facial expression. But it's never a problem with Mark's scripts. They always have the meat of the character in there. Mark Russell. Sometimes I'll send a script off and the artwork will come back different than what I envisioned, but it's always better than what I had imagined, so I've learned to give Steve as little direction as possible and let him surprise me with what he comes up with. Steve Pugh. Great lesson. Write that down, Alex. Alex Abad Santos. The comic's also deeply skeptical of nightly news and journalism. Where does that come from? Is that a dig at how we present stories over time? Mark Russell. It's about trying to figure out what people are going to watch and give it to them, as opposed to actually thinking about stories, and you know, it's a very human thing. We all do it. We're more about getting the interest of other people than we are about thinking deeply about the actual problems. The problem is that we're always chasing other people's approval. In a lot of ways in life we're playing a game of family feud, where we're trying to guess the most popular answers as opposed to the correct ones. That's sort of the cardinal sin that Bedrock News makes, and where journalism goes wrong, is they're trying to figure out what people want to hear as opposed to telling them actual facts or the truth about problems in Bedrock. Alex Abad Santos. The book also has a skeptical and perhaps grim view of religion and morality. Mark Russell. I don't think it's a grim view of religion. I think they're just, it's trial and error. They're trying to figure out what people need from religion, and the bottom line is we all approach the universe incomplete and with different holes inside of us that need filling by spirituality. And so they're going through a period of trial and error where they're trying to figure out what's going to serve people's spiritual needs. It doesn't diminish the efforts to try to find something that people can latch onto that makes them feel connected to the universe, by virtue of them getting it wrong once in a while. It's just that this is what happens. We get it wrong, and we're trying to figure out what other people need. The problems that institutions have is trying to present an institutional solution to what is basically a personal need. Pew DC Comics Steve Pew. There is also the aspect that you brought in of the two forces at play in Bedrock, where you've got the science guy and you've got the religion guy, and they're both trying to win over the crowd. They're both trying to find their way, and they're both relatively honest about what they believe. The science guy doesn't really know what's going on, but he's really trying to find out, and the religious guy, he's really trying to find his way. You know, he wants people to be good. He wants people to care about each other. 
There's no intent to ridicule science or religion as bad things, but where they are in the story in bedrock, in prehistoric times, they're really out of their depth. They're just finding their way on the start of their journeys. Alex Abad Santos. Maybe I'm leaning on the words grim and skeptical too much. But there's definitely an idea in the book that you should be questioning what you're presented. Mark Russell. I think in the end what we're saying is that everybody's really just guessing. It doesn't mean they're bad people if they get it wrong, but they're ultimately guessing. The fact that there's an authority, whether it's in the church or science or in politics, telling you something doesn't absolve you of the duty of thinking for yourself. Alex Abad Santos. The book has often been described as melancholy, but in a lot of interviews I've read with you guys you always say something to the effect of, there are funny and joyful parts in it. So what is the most joyful part in the Flintstones? Mark Russell. I think for me, I really like the friendship between bowling ball and vacuum cleaner. Alex Abad Santos. That they both live in a dark closet. Pew DC Comics Mark Russell. Yeah, they're basically domestic appliances that don't have a lot to look forward to in life, but they find each other. They find great solace in their relationship, and I think that's ultimately what we all do. Everything we have that's worth having ultimately comes from other people. Steve Pugh. I like pebbles and bam bam goofing around, but I do, hum. I know they're in there, because I remember going, oh, that's nice. Mark Russell. I think the relationship between Fred and Wilma is also very positive and genuinely loving, and is a good sort of humanizing part of the story. Alex Abad Santos. What about the gay couple, Adam and Steve? I feel like you guys were sitting on that one for a little bit, and in Fred and Wilma's marriage issue it feels like you both got to say, yes. We get to make this joke. Steve Pugh. There's a little thing when they meet Fred in the street, I think one of them's like ruffling his hair or something. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, you're right, that was joyful. It was a really nice moment, you know, between friends who've known each other a long time, and genuine affection between people. Pew DC Comics Alex Abad Santos. The flashback when you figure out what Adam and Steve mean to Fred is kind of a big deal, too. You think that it's just the obvious joke, and then it goes a bit deeper and it pays off. Steve Pew. That whole marriage issue was lovely. I mean, there were some terrible moments in it, but there were real nice people having nice things. Well, let me think, did nice things happen to them? I'm looking it up as I'm talking. Yeah, that was fun. That was joyful. I know it sounds weird, but you forget this, certain parts of the comic book, because this has been like a year between, a whole year for us. Why don't we do director's commentary for each issue? Alex Abad Santos you should. Mark Russell I'm fine with that. Steve Pugh. We can put it out as a series. Mark Russell. Sitting in the dark, eating sandwiches while reading our comics. Steve Pugh. Yeah, the guy who did the Battlestar Galactica TV series did that. He just sat on the sofa, watching his own TV show, drinking a glass of whiskey, talking about it. Sounded all right. Mark Russell that's a good gig. Steve Pugh. Sorry for getting sidetracked. Thanks for taking an interest in us. It means a lot. We were surprised how much people cared about our book, and it's great. Alex Abad Santos. Why are you surprised? It's a great book. Steve Pugh. Good books don't always get attention. Alex Abad Santos. A lot of my friends who are into comic books, they always tell me, oh man, you have to read the Flintstones. And I'm like, I know. I'm reading the Flintstones, but it makes me really sad, and they're like, I know, I'm sad too. Mark Russell. It acknowledges the shared, sad humanity between you. The Flintstones Volume 1 will be available in comic book stores on March 22 and all bookstores on March 28. Give the gift of understanding. 
In April, Vox launched a way for readers to support our work with financial contributions, and we've been blown away by the response. This year, support from our founding contributors has helped us create projects that millions relied on to understand a year of chaos and to keep their families safe. Support from our readers helps us rely less on advertising and keep our resource-intensive work free for everyone who needs it. We want to add 2,020 more founding contributors to our supporter base by the end of the year. Help us reach our goal by making a contribution to Vox today, from as little as $3. Top articles The New UK Coronavirus Mutations, Explained. Skip A.D. Next up in Culture Stories from a Lost Year. One Good Thing. Housebound is the perfect horror comedy for the perpetually quarantined the pop culture that brought us joy in 20209 wild cult stories to get lost in 25 cartoons to get obsessed with, now and forever how Wonder Woman 1984 failed Cheetah. Tis the season to discover the outdoors with whiskey advertiser content from sponsored content. Most Android users don't know this, do it today, learn more. Security savers. The one clever trick most Android users don't know, do this today, learn more. Weeklypenny.com. San Antonio, Texas, did you know about this? Learn more. Comparisons.org recommended by. Terms of use privacy notice cookie policy do not sell my personal info licensing FAQ accessibility platform status contact send us a tip masthead about us editorial ethics and guidelines advertise with us. Jobs at Vox Media. Copyright 2020 Vox Media, LLC. All rights reserved share this story. Opens in new window opens in new window. The vitamins contain sweetening agent sorbitol, an ingredient usually found in laxatives, meaning children are at risk of nausea, stomach cramps, and severe diarrhea if they take too many vitamins. The vitamins also have a high percentage of artificial colors and flavors in them and contain fructose, another sugar linked to obesity and diabetes. 23. Barney's Attempt to Say Goodbye Via, Pinterest. Although generally seen as a show for children The Flintstones contains some fairly grown-up storylines throughout its six seasons. Taking one's own life is an extremely serious subject matter for a real-life action show let alone an animated one but it's something The Flintstones approached in the episode, Little Bam Bam. In the episode, Barney and his wife Betty are trying to adopt a child but lose the rights to Bam Bam at the last minute. Distraught about not becoming a father, Barney considers ending it all. He is seen walking out in tears after being told the news and heads towards a nearby bridge. It looks as though he is ready to jump off the bridge when Fred comes to his rescue and talks him out of it. The episode had a happy ending though, with Barney and Betty being allowed to to adopt Bam Bam and finally having the chance to be parents. 22. Comic Book Heroes via DCComics.com the Flintstones have appeared in comic book form before but the 2016, 12-issue limited series was the best recreation of the famous family yet. Created by DC Comics, the series has received mainly positive reviews and is a darkly modern take on the animated series. The summary of the comic reads, Welcome to Bedrock, where Paleolithic humans head to dinner for a taste of artisanal mammoth after shopping at Neanderthal and big men's clothing, join Fred and Barney as Mr. Slate sends them on a mission to show some Neanderthals a night on the town in hopes of luring them into this new system called, working for a living, in Slate's quarry, of course. The series addressed important issues such as marriage, racism, and war veterans, even featuring a gay relationship in one issue. The main characters are more defined in the comic with greater, fleshed-out personalities. 21. Dinos One Night. Creepy Adventure via, the-flintstones.wikia.com. The Flintstones' pet dinosaur Dino is a lovable creature who acts like a big puppy dog. 
While not the smartest animal his loyalty to Fred is unquestionable, with a running joke throughout the show being Dino knocking down Fred when he arrives home from work and licking his face. But it seems it's not just Fred who Dino fancies. Dino gets the hots for the next door neighbor's Dino pet and the feeling appears to be mutual. While we thankfully don't see the two consummate their relationship on screen, there is an episode featuring the neighbor's dinosaur with a litter of puppies and Dino standing over them as a proud Dino dad. But that's the last we see of Dino's girlfriend and his children through the series, making me wonder just what kind of father Dino really is. 2-0. Prehistoric Smackdown, via, osreview.com. There have been strange and unusual Flintstones-related releases over the years but none quite as interesting as the Flintstones and WWE, Stone Age Smackdown. The crossover of these two highly liked properties doesn't really make any sense on paper but was an obvious way for Warner Brothers. Studios and WWE Studios to combine their marketing skills and release an animated film to appeal to both sets of fans. The film featured many big-name WWE stars such The Undertaker, Daniel Bryan, and John Cena. The film followed Fred and Barney as they built their own wrestling organization and ends with a massive wrestling match between a host of Flintstones and WWE characters. The film actually got some good reviews and when released in 2015, was the first new Flintstones production in over 14 years and the first without original creators William Hanna and Joseph Barbera's input as both had since passed away. 19. Flagstones, meet the Flagstones via, yaupayope.blogspot.com. Having produced the children's series The Huckleberry Hound Show and The Quick Draw McGraw Show, Hanna-Barbera, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera wanted to create a show that appealed to both children and adults, like their original hit series Tom and Jerry. After tossing up many ideas they settled on creating an animated sitcom set in the Stone Age. Coming up with a name for the show was the next big decision. During the early development of the series, it was set to be called The Flagstones. When the show was picked up and went into production the name was briefly changed to the Gladstones also a popular telephone exchange line in Los Angeles during the show's creation, so as not to be mixed up with the Flagstones, cartoon characters from the comic strip High and Lois. The Gladstones soon morphed into the Flintstones, a much more suitable title, and the show was ready to air in September of 196-0. 18. No More, Gay Old Time, via, notnowsilly.blogspot.com. The jingle to a television show is sometimes just as important as the series itself. The Flintstone sing-along opening theme song explained who the characters were and what the show was all about and was catchy as heck. It's an upbeat and enjoyable tune but it came under fire in 2010 when CNN journalist Anderson Cooper took offense to the use of the phrase, gay old time. Cooper took to the air to grieve about the insensitive nature of the song. He expressed his feelings further when he went on The View where he said, we should all be striving for more acceptance and sensitivity, and instead the Flintstones are spitting in the collective gay face. With such a large platform it didn't take long for other pundits and prominent media identities to jump on board with Cooper's sentiments, eventually forcing Warner Brothers animation to substitute the word gay in the song. 17. Did Fred and Betty have a via raymcdonald.wordpress.com the Flintstones and the Rubbles were the best of friends and Fred and Barney did almost everything together when not with their families. Some viewers think the four were so close they wear swingers and swapped partners for nights of fun, but the more likely conclusion is Fred and Betty had an affair. Throughout the show, the majority of tension and problems occur due to Fred and Wilma's constant bickering. Fred and Betty got along well during the show and often seemed to be flirting with each other. It would make sense Fred would be attracted to Betty as she was quite the opposite of Wilma. The same can be said of Betty being attracted to Fred, who was a strong and forceful man as opposed to the mild-mannered Barney. Although there is no proof, the two engaged in an extramarital affair, it's more than likely the two shared some off-screen chemistry together. 
16. The Honeymooners Influence via 2x2gaming.com The Honeymooners was one of the most popular television shows on air during the development of the Flintstones and many have spotted the similarities between the two shows. The Honeymooners was based on a sketch show created by and starring Jackie Gleason about a working-class husband and wife and the daily struggles they encountered. Hanna-Barbera took the husband and wife dynamic and placed it in the Stone Age, with Fred Flintstone based on Jackie Gleason's Honeymooners character Ralph Cramden. Although very similar Joe Barbera had always been adamant the shows each had their own identity. So many people say, did you copy the Honeymooners? I said, well, if you compare the Flintstones to the Honeymooners, that's the biggest compliment you can give me, Barbera told METV Legends. But the Honeymooners don't have all the gags that we had in there. 15. Fred and Barney enjoyed a dart via, Twitter.com. The Six Zeros was a time when drinking and smoking were heavily advertised through the media and not even the Flintstones could escape their presence. Winston cigarettes were one of the major sponsors of the Flintstones and because of this, were present in the series. At the end of each episode, a short black and white commercial showed Fred and Barney trying to get out of working in their yards by lighting up a Winston cigarette. Let's take a Winston break, Barney says as he and Fred light up. Wilma and Betty catch the two on Smoko and begin to throw yard equipment at them, with Fred uttering the cigarette brand's motto, Winston tastes good, like a cigarette should. Within a decade, advertising cigarettes on television and radio was banned by the Public Health Cigarette Smoking Act, with the Flintstones leaving Winston behind and going on to promote the slightly healthier Welch's grape juice. 14. Fred Flintstone's Addictive Personality via, YouTube, Hyrule Radio TV. This list has already discussed Fred's love of cigarettes but the hardworking construction laborer had a number of other addictions throughout the Flintstones' six-season run. Fred was a massive gambler and found it hard to say no to having a punt. He can be seen throughout the show playing the slot machines or having a round of poker and I have no doubt he would have been a regular at the local Dino racing track. A short video by YouTuber Hyrule Radio TV goes into detail about Fred's gambling problem in each season. As well as gambling Fred also liked to drink and had a fondness for showgirls. He was featured in advertising for Bush Beer and his love of unclothed women was illustrated in one episode where his bowling club, the Loyal Order of the Water Buffaloes, hired some ladies of the night as entertainment for a party. 13. Fred and Wilma share a bed via, JustAnswer.com. The Flintstones was released during the early six zeros, a time when America was still a very conservative country, and in places still is where both men and women had defined gender roles and anything slightly provocative was frowned upon. This didn't stop the Flintstones from dealing with subject matter that most people didn't want to discuss. One of the things the series shed a light on was married couples sharing a bed. The animated series depicted Fred and Wilma in bed together without making the scenes overly intimate. The shots of the two in bed usually showed the two discussing some kind of important matter before turning off the lights and going to sleep. It might not sound like much with what is shown on television today but for that time period, it was a massive deal. 12. Infertility storyline and animated first via, flickerriver.com. Another heavy issue the f- Uh, the dinosaur TV show. It does! But without the mohawk, and then just like a digital rendering, because Robbie was, um, uh, what do you call animatronics? Like, yeah. they had the motors in the face, and you know, there's uh-huh. people off screen, fucking moving his eyebrows and everything like that. Um, it's... Weird because there's some kind of light in Robbie's eyes whenever he like look into the distance or whatever and you'd see into his eyes that Dino has and it's really creepy to see Robbie that way. It's like almost like a proto Robbie. But um, Robbie came before the Flintstones movie, didn't he? Uh, negative. I'm pretty. Dinosaurs in '96. Uh, nine. 
or 95. 94 was the movie. I, I did my double-checking on that one. 1994 was the first Flintstone movie. So, yeah, it was definitely after. Okay. Robbie was definitely after. Okay. Um, oh, so then Dino, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. So, or maybe that's why I like the dinosaurs so much. Maybe I should flip what I just said to you. Maybe that's why I enjoyed the dinosaurs. Because, because you started off with the Flintstones? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I initially started off but with... But we're also big Jim Henson fans. That's another thing. And all he did was animatronics. Like, that was his jam. Puppets. Large puppets. I so mean, many puppets. Amazing puppets. Um, Ludo. I think of uh, that uh, Fred Rogers, um, when he... Uh, he had like uh, he opened up his uh, suitcase. He's like, "What do you have in here? You have some clothes? Those puppets? Like it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I brought my friends from uh, the land of make believe." Um, hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's not even eight o'clock at night. <laughs> oh, but that's okay. People are enjoying themselves as long as we're social distancing. I suppose it's fine. <laughs> if you're throwing fireworks in an effort to get somebody away from you, I'm sure that's fine. Oh, okay, okay. If you say so. <laughs> well, I hope you all had a holly jolly whatever and you got something good for Christmas. I got something shiny. Um, I like it. But um, I also got some cool stuff to keep me warm. And uh, I... I gotta say, I enjoyed everything I got, but uh, I always feel like I, I don't know, like I never do enough. Um, yeah, anyway, it's uh, the season for giving or whatever, so. It sure is. <laughs> I, um, I definitely gave, uh, this episode gets a little bit more of my time in the sense that I fell down a KFC hole. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Flintstones are loosely tied into it because the Flintstones are actually in a KFC ad uh, for the their Twister or whatever they had. It's a really weird hole that I fell down. But look, I'm okay. I got up, <laughs> dug myself out. You know, you have to dig up. So I dug myself out. And that's going to be... But that episode may be coming soon. <laughs> that episode's going to be probably next week. Because um, it's, it's going to be a lot of KFC facts that you didn't know. You wanted to know. Uh, I'm looking at like 50 fucking facts of uh, KFC. Like, If you're college. kind of a foodie, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Because uh, it brings all sorts of info to you about the different types of foods from kind of uh, across the pond. So, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I, I'm definitely... I'm definitely like stoked about it. But also too, like I had no idea half the shit even existed. If you've never... If you're like a huge pizza fan, but you've never like Googled... Domino's Japanese menu. You know what I'm saying? Like, check that, that, check that shit out. Like, yeah. that shit's crazy. Like, Domino's has a crazy menu in yes, Japan. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But, um... And crazy expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but for the quality of the food, I mean, I, I can only imagine, like... Yeah, 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 I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. But... Kobe beef pizza. Oh, also, can we just mention one more thing? That when we were watching it and the theory that they gave... That the, another reason why they said that they felt like it was a post-apocalyptic world was because the dinosaurs and the way they looked, they had to be genetically engineered. They couldn't have been original dinosaurs. Well, all the animals basically had to be genetically engineered because they all had like humanistic qualities yeah. to an extent, but they also had feelings. Yes, that's true. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. And, oh, we didn't talk about the Great Kazoo. That was a discussion that we also had. I said, was he in the Jets? 
Simpsons, and I was corrected, and he's from the Flintstones. Um, I would kind of love to fall down that hole. I don't know enough about it to know um, how did he appear. So I guess that also could tie into that theory, because if they're living in space and they're living below, so did Gazoo come from there? And that's where that came from? Like, is he visiting them from, like, space? Well, I mean, that would have been cool to see, like, the Jetsons fly by in the background. Like, it when, would have. But um, I feel, because the Great Gazoo is in the sequel, uh, Viva Rock Vegas. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's one reason people were so excited about that movie is because that's a very loved character. Yeah, apparently he's got quite a fan base. A uh, very big fan base from what I looked at. For calling Fred Flintstone a dum-dum. 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 He calls Barney and Fred dum-dums. Dum-dums. Yeah. I, I do like um, the element. Like, I'm a big uh, Star Trek TNG, uh, the next generation, for those of you who don't know why I'm abbreviating. Anyway, um, I'm a big Star Trek The Next Generation fan, and one of the key characters in that show, and I know he's a key character because he's in the first fucking episode, mm-hmm. um, and the last, uh, is Q. Q has an amazing power. The whole power of the Q is... Ridiculous. Yes. I mean, the, the continuum is just full of these powerful motherfuckers that are basically like gods and can do so much that um, they feel entitled to judge others and tell others what for. And that's basically what the run of TNG is, spoilers, that you have to, you know, you're passing, you're on trial for, you know, the crimes of humanity, I think is what it is, what they're charged with. Yeah. And they... Um, they're ever being tested, and that's what every journey that they're on is, and it sort of gives you an introverted look on, like, consciousness, and if we're really just um, part of, like, a simulated dream or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but um, I'm getting a little bit too deep. Um, one thing we got to do is, um, I guess... Uh, Bring it back in a little. <laughs> break the uh, movie down for you, and um, then we'll get... Uh, on, I guess, the more obscure things that we remember yeah. from our childhood. The Flintstones 50th Anniversary. 15 Things You Don't Know. The 50th anniversary of the Flintstones has been marked with a Google Doodle. Here are 15 things we bet you don't know about the cult children's cartoon. By Heidi Blake, 30 September 2010, 13.04pm. The Flintstones 50th Anniversary is celebrated by Google Doodle. One of the Flintstones was originally aimed at an adult audience and the first two seasons were co-sponsored by Winston Cigarettes. But by the third season it was being written for children and was sponsored by Welch's, who produced grape juice and jellies. Two of the show's famous theme tune, Meet the Flintstones, was not used until the third series. The musical theme for the first two seasons was called Rise and Shine. Three, Fred and Wilma Flintstone were the first couple to be shown in bed together on primetime television when the show first aired on ABC between 1960 and 1966. Four Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble fronted a TV The Adrian Lozano show campaign for Winston Cigarettes, a move that would be unthinkable for children's television characters today. Five many critics believe that the show was a Stone Age parody of the 1950s US TV sitcom, The Honeymooners, which featured two newlywed couples living in New York. One of the show's creators, William Hanna, once confirmed the rumor, but his co-creator Joseph Barbera maintained that it was a myth. Six William Hanna, the co-creator of The Flintstones, also produced the hit children's TV shows Tom and Jerry, Scooby-Doo and Yo-Yogi. 7. The Flintstones held the coveted title of the longest-running primetime TV cartoon before The Simpsons took on the mantle. 8. The 1959 on-air pilot episode was called The Flagstones. The Gladstones was also mooted before The Flintstones was finally decided on. 
Nine of the series were set in the town of Bedrock, although in some early episodes it was referred to as Rockmill. Ten of the furniture in the Flintstones house changed in almost every episode. Eleven of the family's barking pet dinosaur, Dino, changed colors throughout the program. Its main color was purple. Twelve, the cartoon was originally aired in black and white. Thirteen, the Flintstones was home to several major league sports teams. The Bedrock Giants, Bedrock Dodgers and the Green Bay Packerderms all appeared on the show. 14. Several popular celebrities took residence in the showbiz quarter of Bedrock. Holly Rock, Kerry Granite, Alvin Brickrock and Stoney Curtis were the biggest stars. Mick Jada Stone and the Rolling Boulders were Fred and Barney's favorite band. 15. There are several Flintstones theme parks in the US, including Flintstones Bedrock City in South Dakota and Flintstones Bedrock Town in Arizona. More stories. More from the Telegraph. More stories. Live coronavirus latest news. COVID loves a crowd, warns NHS boss amid fears of New Year's Eve parties. By Global Health Security Team 31 Deck 2020, 7:46 a.m. The priority list for the Pfizer and Oxford vaccines, and how they will be rolled out. Biblograph Reporters 31 Deck 2020, 7:40 a.m. The areas where primary schools will remain closed. Bidemonic Penner 31 Deck 2020, 7:38 a.m. New Year Honors, Charity Workers, MPs and Campaigners Recognized. By Steve Bird 31 Deck 2020, 7:35 a.m. The best 30 men's rugby union players in Britain. By Gavin Mayers 31 Deck 2020, 7:30 a.m. China jails 29 Taiwanese deported from Spain for telecom fraud. By all foreign staff 31 Deck 2020, 7:12 a.m. News website of the year. Coronavirus. News. Politics. Sport. Business. Money. Opinion. Tech. Life. Style. Travel. Culture. Login. See all news. Back to top. Follow us. Copyright Telegraph Media Group Limited. Looking pretty good. I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. And taking a live look outside 37 at Carolina. Let me what's start your, over. What's your favorite character? Who's your favorite character? Uh, growing up, it had to be um, Pebbles. Really? And Dino. I like their little dynamic that they have together. Yeah, they got a Calvin and Hobbes thing kind of going on mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like Bam Bam and Pebbles together. When Bam Bam's introduced. What do you think about the older uh, Bam Bam and Pebbles uh, it's weird. Do you remember that? I when, do. When I they do got older? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny how they aged and uh, no, their parents didn't. No, it seemed like <laughs> no time had passed for them. Dad and Wilma were just same old, same old. <laughs> but Bam Bam and Pebbles were teenagers, and then they were in love, right, at one point, and they got, were going to get married. I don't know. They were, like, rocking it up. Like, uh, I remember them. I they remember them, married like. Married in one episode. I'm pretty sure they did, yeah. I mean, we we don't have the internet, so we'll never know. We'll never know. Sorry. Never gonna know. Never. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. <laughs> never gonna... Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> I think no. those are the lyrics. <laughs> um, I really love Dino, but... Dino Martin? Yeah, but I have a soft spot for... He's just like a big old love bug puppy, and I loved it. <laughs> so... There's that. Um, like I, I, I don't remember the cartoon as much. I know that I don't have anything committed to like super memory memory, but super I, memory memory. 
It's not, it's nostalgia, but not like a deep cut nostalgia like if we were to watch The Simpsons or if we were to watch The Dinosaurs. Yeah, like I was, like, I believe I worded it as I have not committed them to memory. There you go, exactly. So it's like they're there for nostalgia purposes. Like, yeah, oh yeah, we definitely watched The Flintstones. Because I remember we wa- I watched it every weekend. Like, it was a normal thing. So Ho Ho said she watched some of it too, apparently. Hi, Ho Ho. <laughs> um, and. Oh. Ah, yabba dabba do. Ho ho sends her greetings to everybody and to uh, her daddy especially. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mr. Slate rehires Fred and Pebbles and Bam Bam get married with uh, Barney, Dino, Wilma, and Betty um, as the happy ones seeing them getting married. Wow. Um, yeah. Flintstones, Bam Bam, and uh, Pebbles get married. I mean, the Flintstones were on for quite some time. They started in 1965 from what I read, and I don't remember when they um, officially ended. Well, they were the longest-running animated series till The Simpsons came along. Like, uh, they... Like, they had... They were the comedy, like, TV comedy uh, show... I guess the first real animated TV com- TV comedy show. They were also the first show ever to put the couple in the same bed. Like before that, all the couples had like separate beds. Oh, I didn't know that. And they were the first ones to actually. Um, so was that controversial back then? You think? Uh, I think in live action it was an issue because they like standards and practices was like I don't think so. We we know what happens when. There's two people in one bed. <laughs> oh I'll yeah, tell even, you. even I Love Lucy, they were in separate beds. Yep. Oh, I didn't think about that. And they did that in a kid's cartoon. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, well, initially, initially it wasn't a kid's cartoon. The first two years of the show were sponsored by cigarettes, Wilson Cigarettes. And uh, Fred and Barney even did ads for cigarettes. But they didn't really ever smoke in the cartoons. There is smoking in uh, some episodes, but they by the season three, uh, they were bought out by the, the some, some jam company, I I don't think it's Smuckers, because with a name like Smuckers, <laughs> um, I don't think it's Smuckers. I, I believe it's um, uh, somebody else. But they uh, they were bought out by a jam company, and they were no longer tied to cigarettes, so they were for kids, one hundred percent. Welch's, I think. That actually makes sense. I think you're right. I, I think there was a time where they were tied to that. I did read like fifteen articles about the Flintstones. Yep, I know you totally did. Uh, <laughs> 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 My man's got all his research down. <laughs> Um, who was your favorite character? You let me ramble a little bit, but you didn't say who your favorite character was. Um, I would definitely, wow, you look, that's so much hate on your face right now. Um, I would definitely have to say I'm a big Fred Flintstone fan. Like, I know it's, I guess, cliche or whatever, but like, I liked him when he was painted in a deceitful light. I liked him when he was not a good character, um... Like, when he was, like, evil Fred. There's very few instances. Now knowing what I know about them being modern or being, like, futuristic, really, um, there's a sinister aspect to Fred Flintstone that I really like. And uh, with these comics that I also just found out about um, that DC has done, I feel like I'll be able to explore some of the the darker sides of that character. Like, I just... I. I don't like him being just a happy-go-lucky goof. I like that 
that there's more to him, you know? They, there's some complexities. And what they've done in the comic book is they've made him a veteran, and uh, the water buffaloes, his um, male uh, group or whatever... Uh, I felt like that was a uh, nod towards, like, the Masons. What? what? Okay. Well, that was a bunch of nothing. All right. Um, I'm looking forward to those Cooking with Ho-Ho episodes. Me too. Ho-Ho. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I would say Fred Flintstone, whenever he's um, out of his element, like, um, I wanted to say, didn't they? Flintstones dealt with during its run was the infertility of Barney and Betty Rubble. The good friends of Fred and Wilma Flintstone were a loving couple who always seemed to be happy. When it was revealed the two couldn't have children we saw a different side of the two characters. This was a pretty serious issue to be dealt with in a kids television show and although it flew over most children's heads, grown-ups no doubt understood the emotions the Rubbles experienced. The Rubbles' inability to have a child was compounded when the Flintstones gave birth to Pebbles. It also marked the first time an animated television series had involved the issue of infertility in an episode. But not all was lost for the Rubbles, with the couple eventually adopting Bam Bam and having a family of their own. 11. Pebbles Gender Swap for Cash via, YouTube, Draw With Me During the Flintstones' third season producers decided they need to mix up the family dynamic and thought it was time Fred and Wilma had a child. Chatting with METV legends Barbara discussed how they were originally going to give the Flintstones a baby boy. Ideal Toy Company had other ideas about the child's gender though. Barbara received a phone call from the head of Flintstones merchandising department asking if the rumors were true they were going to introduce a child. Barbara confirmed this and was then asked if it was a boy or a girl. What else, a boy? A chip off the old rock, Barbara told the man. That's too bad, the merchandising executive told Barbara. I have the ideal toy. If it was a girl, we could have made a heck of a deal. Without missing a beat Barbara replied, it's a girl. The Flintstones introduced Baby Pebbles and the toy of her likeness went on to sell over 3 million dolls in the first few months of being released. 1-0. Seth MacFarlane reboot abandoned via, YouTube TV references. It was announced in 2011 Family Guy creator Seth MacFarlane wanted to bring back the Flintstones and give the classic cartoon his own spin. Rumors quickly spread about what a MacFarlane-produced Flintstones would end up like, but less than a year later the project was put on hold after MacFarlane's script was deemed good but not good enough. Things went quiet on the reboot and we haven't heard much since. That was until a fan asked McFarlane about the project's status during a Reddit AMA last year. As of now, probably not, he wrote. Honestly I couldn't figure out a way to find enough differentiation between a modern-day Fred Flintstone and Peter Griffin. It's very interesting to hear McFarlane sees parallels between the two characters, and when you think about it, he's right on the money, although Fred is a little less crude. 9. Controversial Flintstones house sells for $2.8 million via, ibtimes.com. It might look like an eyesore to some but the famed, Flintstones house, in the affluent suburb of Hillsboro, California, has become an unofficial South Bay landmark. Built by architect William Nicholson in 1976, the one-of-a-kind construction is very similar looking to Fred and Wilma Flintstones house. The house features three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a domed living room ceiling, with a view overlooking the Crystal Springs Reservoir. Corey Edison's purchased the property in 1996 for around $8.00,000, the equivalent of $1.23 million today, and has been trying to sell the house since 2015, finally getting a buyer last year. 
Originally listed at $4.2 million when it first went on the market Edison's eventually settled for $2.8 million, earning a rather substantial profit in the process. While I can't say it's the kind of house I would want to live in, it's certainly an interesting structure and one sure to attract attention. 8. The Bedrock Hillbillies and Other Stories via KansasCity.com The setting of the Flintstones was another major factor in its longevity and success but things could have been very different with a number of other eras suggested for the time period of the show. William Hanna and Jospa Barbera experimented with a number of unique scenarios, including setting the Flintstones during the Roman Empire and the early 1600s when America was founded by the Pilgrims. They also discussed making the characters in the Flintstones, hillbillies. The idea of the Flintstones being Native Americans was also discussed before eventually settling on prehistoric Earth. The reasoning behind this was because it was easy to take anything that was current and set it in the Stone Age. These other ideas didn't go to waste though, with the hillbilly theme turning up in the episodes, the bedrock hillbillies, and, the hatrocks and the gruesomes, and the Roman theme resulting in the Hanna-Barbera animated kids show the Roman holidays. 7. The voice of Barney involved in Crash via, LATimes.com Well-known voice actor Mel Blanc scored the coveted role of Fred Flintstone's best friend Barney Rubble in the animated show. Having voiced the likes of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and Woody the Woodpecker, Blanc was the ideal choice for Barney, having years of experience in the industry. During the filming of the second season, Blanc was involved in a near-fatal car accident. Blanc was driving his sports car when he crashed head-on into a car driven by an 18-year-old student on Sunset Boulevard. The young lad received minor injuries but Blanc suffered a triple skull fracture along with fractures to both legs and his pelvis. He spent two weeks in a coma and was in the hospital for almost two months, but that didn't stop him voicing the beloved Barney. Recording apparatus were set up in his hospital room and at his home when he was finally released so he could record his lines. 6. How many writers does it take to script the Flintstones? Via, Bustle.com The Flintstones live action film was a box office smash when released in 1994, earning over $342 million on a budget of just $46 million. It would seem like a way to print money but the film was in development heck for close to nine years before eventually getting the green light to go into production. An article by Entertainment Weekly detailed how producers Keith Barish and Joel Silver commissioned Stephen E. D'Souza to write a script for a Flintstones movie in 1985. Over the course of the following nine years, the script went through a multitude of changes, with two producers, two directors, 14 screenwriters, and 18 TV gag writers involved in its creation. Even Steven Spielberg was attached at one point. 5. Danny DeVito is Barney Rubble via, 7wallpapers.net While the Flintstones movie was still being written, comedy actor John Goodman had already been headhunted for the role of Fred Flintstone. While Steven Spielberg was attached to the project he suggested Goodman after working with him on the film always. Thankfully, Goodman said yes as after looking at a variety of other actors including Chevy Chase, Jim Belushi, and Bill Murray, the producers realized they were too skinny and needed someone with Goodman's shape. The other main male actor that needed to be cast was Barney Rubble. It's believed Danny DeVito was the first choice for Barney but turned down the role because he believed his voice didn't fit the character. He said to have recommended Rick Moranis for the role, who producers loved and cast as Barney. 4. The Disappearance of Rick Moranis via, Telestar.fr Canadian entertainer Rick Moranis made a name for himself in the eight zeros with a string of comedy classics. The actor, comedian, writer, and producer, appeared in the likes of Ghostbusters, Spaceballs, Little Shop of Horrors, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, helping him become one of the most recognizable comedy actors in Hollywood. 
Scoring the role of Barney Rubble in the Flintstones live-action adaptation was Moranis's biggest break yet, but soon after the film's release, the actor disappeared. Moranis went on a self-induced hiatus after the tragic passing of his wife. Moranis's costume designer wife Ann Belsky passed away from cancer in 1991. After filming a few more movies in the years after, Moranis realized it was acting or his children, and chose to bring up his children as a single parent. 3. The Jetsons inspired by the Flintstones via YouTube cartoon intros. The surprise success of the Flintstones led to Hanna-Barbera looking at what other ideas they had lying around that could be considered worth developing while the company was hot property. Lacking anything original the company decided to swap the setting of prehistoric Earth in the Flintstones for a futuristic world, birthing the Jetsons. The show was pretty much the Flintstones in space and although it only ran for three seasons the Jetsons became a staple on American televisions and a favorite of children around the world. There have been a number of Jetsons spin-offs, with an assortment of comics and video games based in the property. A live-action film and television series have been in the works for quite a few years but both appear to be trapped in development heck. 2. Flintstone sequel a prequel thanks to John Goodman via Sky.com There wasn't any doubt another Flintstones movie would get made after the first live-action adaptation of the cartoon series made hundreds of millions of dollars. You'd think after the film doing so well the original cast would want back in, but that wasn't the case with the Flintstones. After years in development, the film was finally ready to go by the late 90s but Goodman refused to return, having a full plate of acting gigs and thinking it was too long a wait between films. With Goodman out, the rest of the cast soon followed. Producers decided the best way to combat this was to recast the entire franchise and set the second film as a prequel. Mark Addy took over the role of Fred Flintstone with Stephen Baldwin taking on the character of Barney. The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas was a massive bomb and put an end to any more Flintstones films being made in the near future. 1. Elizabeth Taylor's final film role via virtual-history.com Few people have led such an interesting life as the great Elizabeth Taylor. A famous actress and activist who was married eight times, she was the poster girl of American cinema during the four zeros and five zeros and one of the first Hollywood celebrities whose private life was just as well known as her public life throughout the six zeros, seven zeros, and eight zeros. By the early nine zeros, Taylor was concentrating more on her philanthropy interests, making the odd cameo here and there. The producers of the Flintstones desperately wanted Taylor in the film and got her to accept the small role as Pearl Slagoopy by donating the proceeds from the film's premiere to her AIDS foundation, a cause Taylor was very involved with. This film turned out to be Taylor's last theatrically released film, with the dame spending the next 15 years pursuing her philanthropic endeavors between small television roles. She eventually passed away in 2011 at the age of 79. Next star... Simpson, Homer Simpson, he's the greatest guy in history. From the town of Springfield, he's about to hit a chestnut tree. Good times. Alright, um, so I think that's going to go ahead and wrap up this particular episode, episode 118. Um, I want to thank everybody who's anybody, and uh, I want to thank everybody who's nobody. And um, I also want to thank everybody who contributes to the show by, um, you know, purchasing merch or um, throwing money at me if you see me in public or whatever. Um, it's appreciated. Every uh, little bit that you contribute goes to helping me uh, continue to feed my cats and myself. <laughs> um, I want to 
let everybody know that um, I'm going to be checking out the movie Upgrade coming up pretty soon. And um, how about this episode? How about the fact that, like, I didn't know that the Flintstones were sponsored by cigarettes. And I didn't know that uh, there was an episode where that episode where Barney didn't get Bam Bam that he was going to kill himself. I, um, I guess it was one of those like, well, I mean, what else would he do? Um, I'm very, very, I'm very, I'm very anxious to read the DC adaptations. I mean, I'm not too anxious. I'm not anxious enough to spend money, but I'm relatively uh, anxious in general when anybody starts talking to me for longer than a few minutes. Anyway, how are you? I'm glad that you stuck around for this uh, episode. Yeah, I know that there wasn't... Um, I've been using a lot more articles, but it's because I am switching things up. And, um, yeah. 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 So, um, if you want to give me any feedback, tell me that uh, the show has gone off the rails. I uh, would love to hear from you. You can hit me up on uh, Twitter at uh, at Lozano Show, and then um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you don't want to bother with any of that, you can always hit me up on Facebook, which I'm never on, <laughs> but still have. And um, oh yeah, um, you can still find me on YouTube. So if you want to comment on any videos, um, I know I've been a bit lax on that, but I'm trying to clear up some space. As you know, space is the final frontier. So I will be working on that and I will be working on a lot of things. I hope you um, had a good, decent New Year's, um, you know, and you were safe or whatever. Um, always remember, look out for snipers and just be aware in general. Um, make sure to find your exits and know your way out. All right, I'm out of here. I, uh, I'll see you next week where we're going to be checking out the movie Upgrade. So, upgrade to upgrade. Yeah. Later. Not even an option. Damn it! Not even an option, sir. You have been listening to The Adrian Lozano Show. I wanted to ask you something a few days ago, but I just...